you know what? It was 2006. I was in grad school at the University of Arizona in Tucson, and I had met a girl that summer. I took a road trip at the end of the semester back in May and drove from Tucson all the way into Miami, picked up a friend, and drove up to Massachusetts. Was that right? No, we went to New York. That's not right. So at some point, summer of 2006, up in Saratoga, meet this girl, and then from there on, start dating. That was all very boring to get to this part. I'm living in, back in Tucson. The semester has started, so it's the fall. And I am flying from Tucson to upstate New York, to Albany. My connector is in Phoenix. And the Phoenix airport has a bar called Route 66. And it had uh, a guardrail running through it, and like old signage, whatever. It was an airport bar. In this particular night, I'm at the Route 66 bar in the Phoenix airport. I'm reading the book Generation X. The bartender asked me what kind of beer I want, whether I want like a small or a tall. And I want the tall, because why the hell not? So I'm drinking this giant beer that's about two feet high. And I'm reading Generation X by Douglas Copeland. And I look up and I just take stock of the room. This is before smartphones. This is 2006. This is before like the iPhone. It's like the start of social media. So if you had a Facebook account, all you could do was poke someone. But I look up and I see that at an airport, you've got to just fill the time. Everybody is doing something to occupy their mind. And for whatever reason, this is probably true all the time, but it strikes me in that moment. One person is doing a crossword. Another person is reading. Another person is watching the television, sports game on it. Someone else is drawing. Someone's listening to headphones, except for one person. And it's the person seated next to me. And that person is not reading, is not doing a crossword. There's no headphones, not watching the game. And they're alone, so they're not talking to anybody. The person next to me is in a suit without a tie, must hair, white dude, 30s or 40s. He's staring across the room, just straight across the room. So I kind of like follow his line of sight. And the only thing I could be hitting is whatever sign from a highway that they have as decoration across the room. He's just staring at that thing. So he's probably staring through that thing. He is the only person around who is not doing something to occupy their mind. He's in his own mind. I go back to reading, and just out of the corner of my eye, I just cannot escape this person's figure to the right of me. I go back down, I'm reading. More stuff is happening with these Generation X people who are kind of living listless lives and feeling like they don't have much purpose. And I can't shake this dude. <laughs> so I look over at him. It's like minutes later, 10 minutes later, 15 minutes later, he's still not doing anything. I'm distracted enough that I can't concentrate on my book. I close it. I pick up my beer and I turn to the guy and I say, hey, how's it going? Where, where are you headed? Because I just need to just hear this guy's voice. I need to hear something from him that he's not an alien because I'm not reading anyway. And maybe if I can satisfy my curiosity about what the hell is up with this person and why they're the only person seemingly on earth who does not need to occupy some part of their brain to feel secure. I just 
strike up a conversation like you do on a plane or at an airport bar, which I try not to do. And I hate when people do it to me, but I just had to do it. And the guy says that he's going to Albany. And I say, oh, shit, me too. We're going to the same place. We're on the same flight. We're waiting for the same thing. It's in about an hour. What are you doing there? What are you, what are you headed to? The guy says he's going to a funeral. I go, oh, I'm sorry. Sorry to hear that. Um, and now I'm just ready to leave the guy alone. Now I, I get it. <laughs> he's staring off because he's going to a funeral. What am I doing prying around? This is why you don't talk to strangers. This guy's in his own space. He's going to a funeral. Leave the guy alone. I feel like an idiot. I'm sorry, sir. Um, I didn't say sir because I never say sir. I actually hate it when people call me sir. I'm sorry. And I turn back to my book. I'm reading. But he engages me. I'm staring down at the book and I'm reading. But he says, it was my grandmother. And now I, I started the conversation originally, so this is not someone who tapped me and said, like, my grandmother died. But now he's engaging with me and maybe, maybe I've gotten myself into something and I can't just ignore it now that it's begun. So I say, oh my God, you know, my grandmother died. I know what that's like. I didn't say that either, because I hate when people say this. I just said, you know, I'm sorry about your grandmother. Yeah. Before I can get back to reading, he says, it's actually both my grandmothers. I'm a little shocked because I had already started working out in my head, like, oh my God, this is so sad. This is a sad guy. Uh, I picked up on something weird with him and I needed to know it was sadness. It's his grandmother dying, but now it's both grandmothers. Uh, so I actually just say both your grandmothers, they died, they, they, they died at the same time. And he tells me that no, like one grandmother died like on Tuesday. And so he made the flight arrangements for today, which is like a Thursday. But in the interim, like this morning, his other grandmother died. I feel really bad for the guy, but I'm, I also had this like tinge of absurdism. It's almost less sad to have both grandmothers die because of the absurdity of the coincidence. To have both grandmothers die sort of fries the circuitry that governs sadness and grief. One, you can deal with. Two, you can't really deal with. I don't know what your relationship is with, like, with your grandmothers. Like, I love my grandmother. I've had closer people to me than my grandmother die, so I know that there is not a universality when it comes to the potency of a grandparent's death. But it can be powerful. And then I'm just open to whatever conversation he has because obviously I've opened up Pandora's coffin. Then he says to me, what are you doing? What's taking you to Albany? For me, it's just like a really nice thing. I'm, I'm actually, I've got some time off. I'm at grad school. I'm poor and happy, learning the things I want to learn. And I'm visiting this girl who I met over the summer. We kind of have a long distance relationship. We're seeing if, if we visit each other, are we still really interested? I'm going to visit this girl, I guess. She's my girlfriend now. And he says to me, you know, don't let it 
go bad. That's not usually where people take this stuff. And I said, yeah, no, we've only known each other, I mean, less than half a year, but it seems really nice. He tells me, this man who's going home to two funerals for both grandmothers, that don't let the little things get to you because that's what led to my divorce. It never occurred to me in the moment, but when I now am retelling this and thinking through it, it almost seems like the man now could have been putting me on, although I know that not to be true because I know how the story ends. He's divorced. I mean, he's going to two funerals, he's divorced. And he's telling me, like, this guy, maybe 10 years younger than him, you know, like, don't screw this one up. And for whatever reason, it hits. And then he asks me, what are you reading? And I tell him, it's this book, Generation X. I tell him, like, it's a bit, you know, it's this guy who goes to work at a resort because he just kind of wants to live a, what does he call it, bohemian jet set, where you don't need to save, like, you're not thinking about the future. You just work at a resort. You extend the sort of youthful, ephemeral understanding of the way the world works into your 20s and late 20s and early 30s and mid 30s and late 30s and you know maybe you can just sort of live like this and it's it's generation x it's the the book that says let this all pass over me and the guy says like i did that i this is what this is what i do after the divorce like i went to work at a resort because i i just couldn't build toward the future anymore and I said you know what man maybe you should have this book and I slipped the book over to him and I say I don't know it sounds like maybe there's stuff in here that would resonate with you maybe you'll get something out of this book it's not like a life-saving book or whatever but it's interesting to read and it's almost me I have another book on me too and I have a notebook and I would just like occupy myself that way and I have headphones and all the other things but he doesn't seem to want to do any of that stuff but maybe if I slide him this book and he starts to read it and he connects with it he will just then read that book and become like the rest of us and absorb himself into some sort of stimulation where he doesn't have to sit with his own thoughts he can see these other characters and the grandmothers and the divorce and the screwing it up because of the little things and the going into a lifestyle where you do not build for the future but you just live as if nothing quite matters all of that can just go away for a second you can just read and then we hear an announcement over the speakers that, hey, you know, if you're getting on this flight to Albany, it is boarding, whatever the hell it is that they say at the airport that alerts you like, oh shit, I gotta get to my gate. Um, and I know that he and I are going to the same gate. And I look at my watch, I'm like, oh, it's actually pretty close, but the airport's dead, so I'm not really worried about getting there. Um, and I'm not worried about people being in standby and all that. So I just say, finish up my beer, I pay for it, and I say, hey man, I'll see you at the gate, are you coming? And he said, no, one second. Um, because he had like half a beer left or something. And I said, all right, you know, I'll see you on the plane at the gate or in Albany. And I head down. And as I'm approaching the gate, I see that there's absolutely no one there. There's no one sitting there. There's no one standing there. There is a woman in front of the closed door to the corridor that leads to the plane. 
And I hustle up there. I'm like, hey, I have, a, I have a ticket for this plane to Albany. And she said, okay. We were just closing up. She opens up the door and she says, run. <laughs> she says to me, run. As if, you know, they're on the other side on the plane and they're about to shut the door for good. And once they do that, they can't open it again with like certain airplane rules. So I'm running down the corridor onto the plane, dragging my luggage. And I get there and the flight attendant is there in the plane, waving me on, like, come on, as if there's a bomb behind me. And if I hustle onto this thing, she'll shut the door and protect us all. And I run on and she shuts the door. And I say, look, hold on. Are you telling me this is it? And she says, there is one, this is, there is no, there are no seats left on the plane. Or she says, like, there's only your seat left. And I say, what? There's a guy at the bar who has a ticket for this plane. He's coming. He's right after me. He's at the gate right now. You're saying he can't get on here? And she said, if he could get on here, there'd be no seat for him. And I explain, I'm like, look, no. The guy I was talking to needs to get to where he's going because he's going to two funerals. She says something weird. She said, if it was important, he should have gotten here. Something harsh. And I said, this person's there, they have a ticket. So obviously like you gave away one of the tickets to a standby person. Like, can we make an announcement to say that there's someone outside who needs a seat? She says, no one's gonna no one's gonna do that they make the announcement i sit down i start to tell people like in my row what's going on and they're like oh my god like are you considering giving up your seat and then i think about it you know i only have like three days off this is like my one chance to go i can't wait a day this will screw everything up I'm going to visit this girl this is, you know, there's another flight, isn't there, for that guy. And you know what? That was a sad guy. And he had a lot going wrong. And then, I know that he didn't get on that flight. Because I didn't give up my seat. And no one else did. And someone on the flight told me that I was a good person because I even considered giving up my seat. And that, you know, there are other flights maybe tomorrow morning. And I did some quick rationalization to say he needs the night alone in Phoenix at some hotel in tomorrow's flight. For some reason, that, that extra night is going to work for him. But probably, you know, this is... 15 years later, I'm still thinking about it. I broke up with that girl. And it turned out to be a terrible relationship. That was a time in my life where I was totally able to give up that seat more than anybody else on that plane. I'll never be in a situation where I could give up my seat that easily. And I didn't. I don't know what that guy's doing now. I tried to look him up because I knew that he worked at a Weston resort.
I knew its town, and I knew his first name. Can't remember it now. I want to say Gary. <laughs> <laughs>